Please turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 2 for the reading of God's Word this morning. Hebrews chapter 2. We'll read verses 1 through 4. Hebrews 2. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders, and with divers miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost, according to his own will. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this, your word. We thank you for this epistle of Hebrews. I pray that as we look uh, at these verses, that you would teach us what you have for us, that you would convict us where we need conviction, and that you would comfort us where we need comfort, that you would direct us where we need direction. We'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, we looked at Hebrews chapter 1, and we looked at Christ's supremacy, the supremacy of Christ. And we saw how that through the book of Hebrews is the theme of Christ the better way. Better than the prophets, better than the angels, better than Moses, better than the Levitical priesthood, a better covenant with better promises. So chapter 1 really exalts Jesus Christ for who he is. We saw uh, how that it points out that he is the son, that he is the heir, that he is the creator, that he is the revealer, and that he is the redeemer. That's Hebrews chapter 1. But then when we get to chapter 2, we see the word therefore. Therefore. And of course that means based upon what has just been written, based upon what has just been said, here is a warning. Now, Hebrews has at least five specific warnings throughout the epistle. And usually there's a preceding each warning, there's theological content that is rich and blessed. 
But then comes a warning. Here is the first of those five warnings in Hebrews. Now remember, these are Jewish believers. It is clear that the writer is also a Jewish believer. He is writing to the Hebrews. And it's filled with the Old Testament, filled with all kinds of things like uh, the Levitical priesthood, uh, sacrifices, uh, the prophets, Moses. It's throughout the, the epistle. So this is to Jewish Christians. Probably, we don't know this 100%, but uh, I believe there's good evidence that these are Jewish believers in Rome. Jewish believers in Rome. Now, this is prior, this was written prior to the destruction of Jerusalem in A.D. 70. So some bad things are coming on the Jews. And... These Jews in Rome had become Christians. It's very important to understand that in the Roman Empire at this time, before A.D. 70, Judaism was, uh, was protected under Roman law. But Christianity was not. And these Jews had become Christians. And they're beginning to face persecutions. They're beginning to have to deal with the consequences of their faith in Jesus Christ. And some of them, it appears, are beginning to question whether or not they did the right thing whether it be through weakness of uh, weakness uh, in the face of persecution or whatever, there's clearly throughout this epistle encouragement to understand that Jesus is the better way and to take heed, as we get to chapter 2, to take heed to that fact and not neglect it. So you have this warning to heed the word of the Son of God who is superior to the angels, to the prophets, to Moses, to Aaron, etc. Christ is establishing, has established his new covenant. So let's look at this warning uh, this morning. Based upon what is in chapter 2, therefore, the first thing we see is the warning's context. And that's what I just mentioned to you. The warning's context. The context of Christ's personal supremacy. The context of Christ's revelational supremacy. And just as a reminder, go back to verses 1 and 2 of chapter 1. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. 
Francis Schaeffer wrote a book called He is There and He is Not Silent. And that is what the writer of Hebrews is saying. God is there and He has not been silent. He has given us His word. He has spoken. Therefore, that's the context. And then secondly, the warning's urgency. The warning's urgency. Verse 1. Notice what it says. We ought to give the more earnest heed to the things we have learned. The more earnest heed. Now this phrase, more earnest, is interesting. It means to exceed, to go beyond the norm. Sometimes it's translated abundance. Be abundant in your approach to the Word of God. Don't take these promises lightly. Don't sort of set these promises aside for a rainy day in case you need them. Approach these promises of Christ's supremacy with urgency. Be urgent about it. We ought, the word ought, there is placing before them what they should do. We ought to give the more earnest heed. And notice the writer includes himself. He doesn't just say you. He says we ought to give the more earnest heed. The word heed means to give full and undivided attention to. Full and undivided attention. When's the last time we really approached God's Word that way? Oh, I got, got my devotions in. Or, oh, I've got my reading in today. Uh, I'm guilty, so guilty, of not giving heed to the Word of God. Not giving it my full attention. Now this theme of steadfastness in the faith is throughout Hebrews. Admonitions to be steadfast. Let me just give you some examples. Chapter 3 verse 14 says, Hold fast our confidence. Hold it fast. Chapter 4 verse 11 uh, says, Let us labor to enter into that rest. Now, if you go to chapter 4, I think it's really telling the next verse after verse 11. So in chapter 4, it says, Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest. Now, he's not talking about works righteousness here. He's not talking about laboring to be saved. He's talking about entering into a, uh, into a deeper rest with God. Let us labor to enter into that rest lest any man fall 
uh, after the same example of unbelief. You, you go and begin to do what unbelievers do by ignoring and neglecting the Word of God. But look at verse 12. Now this is one of the most famous verses in the Bible. It's telling to me that he gives that admonition for steadfastness to labor to enter into the rest. Look what it's based on. For the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing even into the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. So the writer of Hebrews is doing in chapter 4 verses 11 and 12 the same thing as he's doing in chapter 2 and verse 1. He's given the word, the word of the son, the word of his supremacy in chapter 1. He says, therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed. Then he does that in chapter 4. You can see that repeated throughout Hebrews. Chapter 6, verse 1 is the admonition, let us go on to perfection or completion. Strive after the prize. Take heed. Chapter 10, verse 23 says, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. Hold it fast. Be diligent. Be urgent. This is the warning's urgency. Notice it says in chapter 2, verse 1, we ought to give the more earnest heed to what? To the things we have heard. To the word of the living God. We're to pay heed. And there are consequences when we don't pay heed. Now, I think of parenting as a training ground uh, for children to learn to take heed. Don't touch that. And they touch it and they burn themselves. So then we might need to say, pay attention to me. Take heed. It'll hurt you. Uh, my mother was pretty good at that. Uh, I needed a lot of those admonitions. Uh, I, my brother, my oldest brother, was born 1957. Eleven months later, my sister was born. Ten months after my sister was born, I was born. And I wonder why my mother was a little high strung by the time I came along. And it didn't help that I was into everything. I was always being told, don't do this, do that, and so forth. Even, you know, in my teenage years, I started letting my hair grow long. And my mother said, you need to get a haircut. Uh, yeah. I didn't take heed. You need to get a haircut. She told me this several days. If you don't get a haircut, there's going to be consequences. Yes, Mom. Ignored it. One morning, one Saturday morning, I woke up. And there was hair in my mouth. I was like, what? Then I woke up, there was hair everywhere. 
My mother had come into my bedroom and whacked my hair in the crew cut. Now, I don't recommend that. There's, there's a certain thing called, uh, you know, not provoking your children to wrath. Uh, I think I did that, but I was in no spiritual position to be counseling my mother on uh, biblical mandates for child rearing. And I could tell you a hundred other stories like that. I think I may have told you the story when she came and got me out of a pool hall. Uh, one of these days, uh, maybe I'll tell you that story, but uh, she was good at trying to get me to pay heed. And sometimes I did, and sometimes I didn't. When I did, it paid off. When I didn't, it was bad. Well, here we have an urgency. Don't ignore the warning. The warning's urgency that we should give the more earnest heed. And I pray that as we uh, go out of this place today, that we would have a renewed sense of the urgency to pay attention to God's Word. Then in verses 1 and also verse 3, we see a third thing about this warning, the warning's necessity. The warning's necessity. Look at this. The warning is needed because the writer understands human nature. And he understands the human tendency to drift. Notice what it says. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. Lest at any time we should let them slip. Notice, at any time. Speaks to the possibility of this happening early or late in the Christian life. Let, the word let speaks to the role of our wills as believers. Lest at any time we should let them slip. Let what slip? Let the word that has been spoken to us slip. And if we let it slip, then we drift. We are drifting. The things that we have heard from the Son of God, we need to keep in our minds. To meditate on them. That's why uh, you see in the Old Testament, the psalmist and the prophets talking about, uh, you know, the Word of God in the morning and noon and the evening and keeping them in the forefronts of our minds, teaching them to our children. We do not want to let them drift, to let them slip. And there's a similar word in verse 3. The word neglect, to let these things, to just sort of put them off or not count them as as important as they actually are. By neglect, the word leaves the forefront of our thinking. 
Now, Hebrews chapter 5 gives us kind of an example of how this happens. The writer gets specific on how this takes place. And I want you to, as we look and look at verses 7 through 12 in Hebrews 5, and note the contrast between what Christ has done and their lack of diligence, okay? Here's this theme again, the spoken word. Here's what Christ has done, but look at their negligence. Look at chapter 5, verses 7 through 12. So, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared, though he were a son, notice the diligence here on Christ's part. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. You see the the effort that Jesus placed, the Son of God in the garden, uh, you know, and the, the, the obedience that was there, the steadfastness that was there. Verse 9. And being made perfect, He became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey Him. Called of God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. But now look at their response. Of whom, and he's, he's saying this to the people he's writing to, of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing what? Ye are dull of hearing. Dull of hearing. That's neglect. That's slipping. That's drifting. For when for the time ye ought to have been teachers, if you had been more steadfast, you could be teachers by now. Ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk, and not of strong meat. Like the Corinthians, who were babes in Christ, who had not matured as they should in the faith. W.H. Griffith Thomas says this about this passage. This is the seriousness of life that with familiarity, truths tend to lose their influence. And the result is an involuntary, gradual, and almost imperceptible backsliding. Nothing is sadder or more perilous in the believer's life. And you can see examples of this. Uh, the church of Galatia. People in the church had not done their due diligence to understand that salvation and justification was by faith alone, not by merit, not by act. And the Judaizers had come in and 
had created a turmoil in the church because the believers had not been diligent in their understanding of what the scriptures taught. You could say the same thing about the church of Corinth uh, and others. Now, next we come to a fourth point about this warning. The warning's great question. The warning's great question. Sometimes warnings come with great questions. Notice what it says, verse 2 in Hebrews 2. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward. In other words, in the Old Testament, when, when angels spoke, when God used the means of angels and prophets and so forth, if you faced punishment for not obeying that, Notice verse 3. How, here's the great question, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? So verse 2 gives the context of this question. There were consequences to not heeding the word spoken by the angels. How much more then should we heed or obey the Son? How shall we escape? Now, there is certainly a real and fearful application here to the unbeliever. If you neglect salvation if you neglect if you ignore and you do not receive the warning there is no escape that application is clear here and remember whenever the writer is writing to these groups there's probably always going to be some who are converted and some who are not so that application is here and it is real But I must say, I believe as I study Hebrews, the dominant context here is to the believer who is letting the word drift away from his or her mind and heart, thus drifting. So how shall we as Christians, what does this mean for the Christian? Well, I think it's very important to understand the word salvation is an umbrella term. It's an all-inclusive term. It includes justification. It includes sanctification. It includes glorification. The theologians uh, often would say, and you can see it in, in theology books, we are saved We are being saved, and we shall be saved, right? Paul says, work out your own salvation. Now, is he saying, oh, by the way, 
your justification is by works? No. He's saying, work out from, now that you're justified, he's speaking of sanctification. But he's using the word salvation. I believe that's the main point here. How shall we escape God's discipline if we go on drifting? How shall we escape? Now, it may mean that a person's never been converted. It may mean that. Or it may be a believer who is drifting. There is a, a dire warning here. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? So in this question is what I think the writer, what I'm calling the writer's great objective, that we be fully in in, the, in this great salvation where we are saved, we are being saved, and we shall be saved. So it's important to remember that the word salvation is this type of umbrella term when you look at this. If we neglect any part of this salvation, there will be consequences, both for the unbeliever, as I said, and the believer. For the believer, loss of fellowship, loss of influence, loss of rewards, and possibly the loss of life. Now, I would like for you to turn to Matthew chapter 16. I believe Jesus... Uh, I believe this passage is a good passage to, to look at in light of what we've just seen. In Matthew chapter 16, and I'm fully aware that this is often interpreted in a different way than I'm going to present here, but bear with me. Matthew 16, verses 23 to 28, let's just read that. And, and, and then make some comments. Matthew 16, 23 to 28. But he turned and said unto Peter, so Peter has, uh, when, when, when Peter understood that Jesus was going to have to go to his death, Peter had said, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. And boy, Jesus was really hard. He said, Get thee behind me, Satan. He calls Peter Satan. You're under Satan's influence when you say that. Thou art an offense unto me. Can you imagine if Jesus had said that to you? Oh, it's tough, right? Jesus being tough here. There's a warning here. For thou savorest not the things that be of God. You have not paid attention to what God has said. But those that be of men. You've listened to men instead of God, Peter. Then said Jesus unto his disciples. If any man will come after me. Now remember, he's saying this in the context of Peter's, uh, his engagement with Peter. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself 
and take up His cross. There's that steadfastness. There's that diligence. There's that not neglecting, but going after it with earnest heed. Take up the cross and follow Me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. Now notice the word life here. It's the word pasuke. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he gain the whole world and lose his own pasuke? Now, I love the King James Version of the Bible. I, I love reading it. I memorized it. I'm glad that we teach from it here. But here's an instance where I think the translators would have done better to keep the same word as in verse 25. Because it has created utmost confusion, in my opinion, about how to interpret these verses. Because many people read, what is, for what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? They only read that in the context of salvation from hell. Now, to the unbeliever, that's what happens. But Jesus is saying this in the context with Peter and discipleship. He is talking to these disciples and he's saying, what is a man profited if he gained the whole world and lose his own life? If you neglect the word of God, there are dire consequences. Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul or life? For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of His Father with His angels, and then He shall reward, notice there's a reward here, every man according to his works. Then He goes back to this thing about death. He says, Verily I say unto you, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death. There's a contrast here of death and life. So the possible loss of life can come with this neglect. Got to move on swiftly here. Let me get to the fifth point. The warnings witness. Look at verses 3 and 4 in Hebrews 2. The warnings witness. Um, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, so the Lord spoke it, and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. So witnesses carried that word. God also bearing them witness through what? With signs, wonders, and with diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to His own will. So, during this day, before the close of the canon of Scripture, uh, He used these means uh, as a witness, signs and wonders and diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost. So, it's interesting to notice, He confirmed unto us by them that heard Him, so the, the witness of hearing, and the witness of seeing signs and wonders and diverse miracles 
and gifts of the Holy Ghost. And all of this according to his will. God spoke the message. He confirmed the message. He gave witness through auditory and visual means all in accordance with his sovereign will. So in light of these facts, even more should we give earnest heed to the things that we have learned. I want you quickly to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 because I think this is an important passage of Scripture. Again, where we see... Uh, I think this is a good example of Paul's earnestness. Look at the earnestness of Paul. And notice, see how the word drove this earnestness. Just like the writer of Hebrews gave us the word and said we should heed it. Look at what Paul does. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And beginning in verse 19. For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all that I might gain the more. And unto the Jews I became a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. Now he's referring to the word, right? He's going to the word, the law. To them that are without law, as without law, being not without law to God, but under the law of Christ. There's the new covenant. That I might gain them that are without law. To the weak became I as weak. That I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Boy, that's diligence. That is perseverance. Verse 23. And this I do for the gospel's sake. There's the word again. That I might be partaker thereof with you. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all but one receiveth the prize? Do you see the effort there? Do you see the the earnestness there? The athlete running with all his might? So run that ye may obtain. That's what Paul says. He's saying the same thing that the writer of Hebrews is saying. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body, bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. If I am not diligent, the word castaway there simply means disapproved. I don't want to fail the test of urgency in the Christian life, Paul says. So he kept that warning in front of him and it drove him 
And he was able to say, I have fought a good fight. I have finished the course. Would that we could say the same. So in conclusion, I want to, by way of application, present some questions and closing admonitions. One, are we hearing the word? Are we hearing what God says? Reading, study, preaching. Two, are we believing what we hear? Now, this may sound odd, but I think more emphasis needs to be placed here. I think in some even Christian circles, there's a quasi-tendency to not really take God at his word. I think this is especially true. I, I study the New England Puritans. I love the Puritans. Man, I'm going to tell you something. There was a problem in New England Puritanism on the doctrine of assurance the point where people almost went mad. Some did. Jonathan Edwards' own uncle committed suicide because he couldn't determine whether or not he was truly converted. So I would say that's the last thing you should be doing if you're not sure you're converted. But there's a sense of this proving. I've got to prove to myself. I've got to show that I'm performing and that I'm doing this. Well, I think when that goes to the extreme, we're not believing the promise. There are fewer things more offensive to God than not believing Him. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That's a promise. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And many other promises like that. We need to believe God's Word. Believe His promises. Rest upon His faithfulness. Not your faithfulness. If I depended upon my faithfulness, I'd be in trouble. But thank God we have a faithful Savior. Are you heeding the word, third? Are you meditating? Are you applying? Are you being a doer of the word and not a hearer only? Let us hear, believe, and heed the better word of Jesus Christ who took our place and calls us joint heirs with him. Let us not let that word drift from our minds and hearts, but guard it, cherish it, live in it, heed it, and of course, share it with others, all for the glory of God. Let us pray. Lord, I pray that we would heed your word, that we would see your word, hear it, believe it, heed it with urgency. And I pray that we would not be like some in 
this ladder, the recipients of this ladder who were dull of hearing and who were not being urgent. Give us a renewed sense of the urgency of paying attention to what you have told us. We'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.